Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, in this episode, I had one of the most fascinating and interesting conversations I have ever had on this show. We have today John Davis, and John remembers his past life where he walked with Jesus Christ. The story of how he discovered this information is fascinating, and how he rejected this concept originally, where he went with it, how he came out with it originally, then went away and then came back. And it has been a journey to say the least, but it is a profound, profound conversation. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, John Davis. How are you doing, John? I am doing great. Thank you, Alex, for having me on the show. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you, my friend. You've, you have a, a very interesting story. I haven't had someone like you on the show before. We've had people who remember past lives and pre-birth memories and things like that. Um, and, you know, the man behind you that's sitting, looking at us behind you, Mr. <laughs> uh, uh, Senor Jesus, uh, he, he, uh, he's made many appearances on the show in near-death experiences. I always say, as a running joke, he's the hardest working man on the other <laughs> side because he is everywhere all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I'm, really, I'm really curious about your journey. So my first question to you, sir, is how did you begin your spiritual journey before – like, what was your life like before the stuff that we're going to talk about? Right. Well, I was raised in a, in a very nice Catholic family, seven kids in total. So obviously. 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Um, my mom had her master's degree in liturgy and was head of liturgical doctrine at our church. And she was very much a very Catholic person, but she was also a very spiritual person. So she was living the love. She was actually going out and doing charitable things in secret, not telling people. We found all this out after her death. Um, but as as time went on and, and I turned 18, my mom actually came to me and she says, John, spirituality is a personal journey and go find out what you, what you, what you believe. And I was like, great, I don't have to go to church anymore. <laughs> so I, I went off and I studied atheism and Buddhism and Hinduism. I really just, just, just started, kind of trickled and played with things. And I really... I came to a realization that I just, I just, I believe that there was a God. I'm more like I was agnostic than anything else. I believe there was something I just wasn't vain enough to say, but I knew what it was. And then, um, do you want me to go into what happened next? Sure, please tell okay. me what happened next. So I, I, I was a Renaissance Festival entertainer. I did a, a comedy show called Hack and Slash. We did sword fights all over the world, including the front lines of both Iraq and Afghanistan on six USO tours. And we were... We were at an event in Canada, um, 
and I was at a party at a friend's house and sitting there in this party, and I'm just kind of sitting back in the back of the room and this woman keeps staring at me. This is kind of weird because I knew that it was her husband right next to her. I was like, this is just kind of weird. And suddenly she gets up, she walks across the room and she says, you know, you walked with Jesus, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I didn't fit with my Catholic upbringing, right? I didn't totally was like, okay, whatever. And, um, Kind of, kind of blew it off. And then about two, three weeks later, I was at the Maryland Renaissance Festival, and this RV pulls in, and she gets out of it. She's there with her with her husband band to do the show. So now this this person who just said this right across from me, and I'm getting a little curious. I said, so I pulled her over. Said, why don't you tell me what's going on? And she said, well, let me give you a reading. And I found out she was a psychic, and I wasn't really even into psychics at the time. And she gives me this reading that basically starts talking about the fact that I walked with Jesus in a past life. And I was like, okay. Um, but the weird part was on, on an odd level, it just kind of felt like it was true. And, I, and that freaked me out. I was like, how can, how can I think that? How can I, how can I feel that? And um, so I set up another, another reading with her. And on the third reading, in the middle of the reading, she goes full trance channel. And she says, John of old, John of new, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. I'm with you. I've always been with you. I always will be with you. And that freaked me out. And I l- ran away. I was like, yeah, I, literally, not, like literally. Well, well, I didn't really literally. What happened was I just kind of avoided her for the next several weeks. And I was like, oh, man, this, this is insane. You know, how could I, how, this is just wrong. You know, and because my Catholic upbringing, he was telling me it was wrong. And I was sitting up on on the festival site with a, another friend of mine who I'd known for years. And in the middle of the conversation, she stops what she's saying. She says, you know, you were John the Beloved, right? And I was like, you know, this is somebody else, entirely different, somebody new. And I was like, oh, man, this is so bizarre. So then my friend who I was talking to had owned, um, did a jewelry. And she was at a um, holistic fair selling her jewelry. And I went to go visit her at the show, and I was, I was walking along the line where all the readers were, and this woman stops one of her readings, runs out in the aisle, grabs me by the arm, and tells me that I was John the Beloved. Now I'm getting really freaked out because it's like I've got like like three of them now have told me right, and then it just started happening like it's like spontaneously, and ended up being a total of nineteen of them that would walk out of the blue just telling me this, and it got to the point where I was. Very much, I'm a science-minded individual. I want to, I want proof, and I don't want psychics telling me. That's how I was at the time, and I was very much in a space where, where I want proof, but I, I think I'm current going crazy. I really thought I was going crazy, and I said, God, just give me a sign. Just give me some sign that I should pursue this. And I had bought a book called Edgar Casey on the Millennium, a little paperback book. And I'm like, yeah, then whatever. I'm just going to see what he's going to say about the millennium. And I open it up to page 32. And right in the middle of the page, it says, John the Beloved will again be named John. And I'm like, ah. so I instantly started the search for a, um, a psychotherapist who did past life regressions. And I didn't want just someone who had had a class online or, you know, or someone who had read a book and was going to do regression. I wanted a, a, a real you know, psychotherapist, a hypnotherapist who could really do do it justice. And I found a lady in, in Virginia and I ended up going and 
I went the week before and she led me through a meditation so I could get used to her voice. And for a week I had to go home and, and meditate with her tape. And then the um, following week I came back. When I came back, she sat me down. I, I was laying there and she, she led me into this session, hypnotherapy session. And she, she's, she you know, lifts you up and then she lowers you down in, in the hypnosis. And then I opened my eyes and I had this huge visceral experience. It was, it was as if I was standing on this shoreline and it was like sandy and rocky all at the same time. And I could feel the wind. I could smell the air. Um, and there was just people milling about. And I, I was like, oh, wow. And I looked, <laughs> I looked down and my legs were bare. And I was like, aha, not of the apostle, because they always wore robes, <laughs> right? This is how, how little I thought at the time. I later discovered doing my research, because I'm very much about researching things, that what I was actually wearing was known as a fisher's coat. It was, it was literally what they would wear when they went fishing on the Sea of Galilee, because if they wore robes and fell over, they were going to drown. And having the bare arms and the bare legs, it was like a Galilean one-piece bathing suit. And so I'm sitting here, I'm having this whole experience. And she says, what's the next most important moment? And it shifted to people running down the beach in front of me. And I'm looking at these people running down the beach. And I'm, I'm like, there's people running. And I turn, and I look, and there's a crowd further down the beach. And as I'm looking further down the beach, I'm like, as I say to her, there's a crowd. And she says, do you want to see what that is? I said, yeah. So I end up walking over to this crowd. And there's a crowd there. And I push my way into the crowd and come to the center of the crowd. As I get closer to the center of the crowd, I start to feel this feeling of just pure, unconditional love. And I open into the crowd and I see him, this guy, right? See him standing. This is actually a painting I did from this regression. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, and I, I could feel him. I could feel his presence. You hear me in the regression say, oh, my, oh my God, I, I can feel him. And I started panting. And, and like the, it was overwhelming, the feeling. And he looked at me as if he knew me. He smiled. He walked over. He raised his hand up. He placed it on my chest. And I had, in my regression, I had basically what most people might think of as a near-death experience. I left the illusion of here. And I ended up in this pure white expanse. And knowing full well that there was distance, but you couldn't see walls, you couldn't see distance, you just knew you were in an expanse of white. And I felt like I was completely one with everything and everyone all at once. And the regressionist is confused. She's like, are you with him or are you him? And I say, I'm within him. And I said, it's all love. It's all love. And, and she left me in that state. And she actually kept trying to get me to come out of it. And, I was, and she's like, you stay as long as you need. I ended up staying in there about seven or eight minutes, which, by the way, if you ever heard my regression, I <laughs> I trimmed that section off because you hear me moaning for about seven minutes. And it's just, yeah, you could take that and do bad things to me. Sure. <laughs> right. Fair <And> editing. Right. <laughs> um, but then she says, what's the next most important moment? And the next most important moment was me feeling and experiencing all my fears and my anxieties and had a complete realization that to come to the physical world to feel feel that separation from that love is is a is a part of knowing and experiencing that love because if we never had the baseline 
of our fears and anxieties, we would never know love fully. We would never know God fully unless we were here to experience this, this baseline. And then it very clearly let me understand the, the line, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Because we drop down into this physical experience, the valley, and we're walking through the shadow of death. We're in a place where death is a possibility of the body, but we ourselves are not of the body. We are of something greater. And so we come down into this, into this valley to experience this separation so that we can come to know God more fully. And in a regression, one of the things that, that they do is they take the person to the end of the life. And they, they do that specifically so that they, they have an experience, a physical experience, that they, an emotional experience. So they can go, oh, I, 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 this is real. And when, when she led me to the, to the end of the life, she, she, the one thing she did not realize is that in John of Old's life, and I say John of Old specifically because I'm John of New, not John of Old. I don't necessarily understand what reincarnation is. Um, I'm not vain enough to put a label on it. You know, I'm not sure if I'm the only one who has this information or this, these memories. Could be thousands of, could be all of us able to tap into this. But it doesn't matter who you were. It only matters who you are in the here and now. She says, what's the next most important moment again? How would you feel about seeing his death? But to John, her saying that was the death of, of Jeshua ben Joseph, is what I called him. And I went to the crucifixion. And you, in my regression, you hear me screaming and, and overwhelmed because I'm looking up at him and he's just, you know, a pulp of a man, bloodied and beaten. And, and um, once again, I, I took my, my history and I started writing down details. And there's a lot of details in that that are pretty gruesome. But later on, I discovered that we're pretty accurate. Like, for instance, um, you know, the only the only evidence they have of a Roman crucifixion is a nail through the ankle bone sideways. And I had in my memory, I had his feet were on the sides of the cross with nails going through the ankle bones into the side of the cross. There wasn't the little platform that you put your feet on like they always show on the cross. And the other was, the other nails were here not here like you always see um it was like they put they're putting the nails through the bones so that it would would stay basically so I was, I was coming back with these little tidbits of information that i could research which was great um but after that i i went on and i started having all kinds of very interesting experiences just in the idea of taking what i had learned and, and this understanding of of we're here to experience our fears and anxieties and realizing that you know, what we think and how we, how we process our experience is being created around us. And that, you know, that, that's my biggest takeaway of the whole thing is being very present in your present moment and, and, and realizing that your thoughts are creative and your relationship to fear and love is, is how you create your world. I hope that <laughs> there's that's my readers, that's a person. That's an amazing uh, recollection or amazing story in general of what you went through. So, okay, so you have this new information uh, that you walked with Joshua, and uh, you become you decide it's one thing to know this information; it's another thing to make it public. <laughs> so, you know, you had a you know you were doing things. And how did the people around you, your family, your mother, your 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 colleagues, your friends, that, you know, because this. As I, I always say on the show, because a lot of times people who come on the show have a spiritual awakening, 
or our channels or our psychics or mediums or uh, had a near-death experience, they generally clear the room. When you say that you had any of these things happen mm-hmm. to you, it clears the room. How did you uh, deal with it psychologically and how? what was it like? It, it was, For a long time, I, I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to be the guy who thought he was Napoleon. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because in pa- in past lives, it's always someone like I was Alexander the Great, obviously. Right, I was, right. Uh, of course. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't Bob, the guy who picked up the, the dung after the donkey. It wasn't that guy. I was, you know, it's oh, it's and I didn't want to be that that guy who thought he was some famous character from history. Sure. Um, and so I was like, this, this is, you know, I, I had to struggle with it. Um, but what eventually happened was people started my, my family took it very interestingly. I, I have a, a brother and a sister who are like, yeah, John, you said it, we believe it, right? I have other brothers and sisters who are like, you're crazy, we're Catholic, and that doesn't work. And I, and I, you know, I, I respect them and love them, you know, because spirituality is a personal journey, and we're each finding our own way. In the Bible, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I believe you can find love in any any religion in the world, but it's a matter of, are you finding love or are you finding judgment? And if you're finding judgment and fear and anxiety and, and having to be right, then you're not really being inclusive. Now, let's talk about my mom because <laughs> my mom, right? Back yeah. here, her picture over here. My mom, master's degree in liturgy, amazing individual, put me on my spiritual path early. I go and tell her, completely open to it, completely open to it. But she didn't, she didn't necessarily share to me that how completely open she was to it and how a little bit nervous she was about it. And she went to her Catholic priest who was straight from Ireland, hair parted down the middle, right? He's straight from Ireland. He was, and she says, father, I'm really concerned. My son thinks he's an apostle reincarnated. And the priest went like this. Don't discount it. It might be true. <laughs> right, right. I love that. And for people that are not watching this, he turned around and looked behind both shoulders before he said, "It's not. It could be true," which is always fascinating. You know what's always interesting, and I found this out from multiple people I've spoken to, is what they portray in public is very different than what they portray in private. Like I was talking to a quantum physicist the other day, and I go, "Listen." They all have to have a sense of of uh, respectability within their community. If they actually said what they believe, they would be ostracized. But when they're at a dinner party with confident with friends or in their own homes or like just having a drink with a friend, the things that come out of their mouth is very different than what they preach about in their classroom. So and, it's and, interesting. And that's in all segments of society because – correct. 20 years ago, I came out with this story. There was a book written about me called John of Old, John of New by the first psychic who wrote, who, who read me. And um, that's actually her book. Her book is still on Amazon. Now I get nothing from it. So I'm not trying to sell a book. <laughs> right? um, it's hers. Right. But, um, but I was speaking all over the country. I was speaking at the Association for Research and Enlightenment, Unity Churches, Metaphysical Centers. And I, I was getting all over, all over the place, up in Canada doing stuff. And I realized that no one was – everyone was too invested in who I was and not what, what I'm actually talking about. And so I decided I'm going to take this information and I'm going to put a different vocabulary around it. And I'm going to stop preaching to the choir and I'm going to start going to find people who need to be put on a path. So I became a corporate motivational speaker. And 
what I found really interesting is I would go into, into those speeches and I would do these, these really cool speeches. And I'll just give you an example. At the end of my speech, I would pick the most timid person I could find in my audience. I would bring them in, onto the stage in front of everybody. And just by managing their fear and adjusting their timeline to the present, they would learn to crack a whip and hit targets out of my hand in five minutes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Right. Literally. And it was just, but it's just a matter of managing, right? But what I would find out is at the end of the speech, I'd be standing there and people would come up, yeah, thank you so much. That was great. So good. And there'd always be a group that would stand off to the side. And once everybody else had cleared away, they'd come over and they'd lean in and they'd go, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? And they didn't want to say it in the corporate environment, right? Um, but yeah, the, it, it, we, we sometimes hide our spirituality for the sake of being afraid of being different. And in reality, that, that fear of being different is the fear of not being loved. So it comes down to the basis, basis element of we're afraid of not being loved in some form. And that's why we're here is to experience that fear of not being loved or the feeling that separation. But you know, that's what we must overcome. The, Bo- the Buddha said the secret to enlightenment is the eradication of fear. And in, in Sufism, they believe that God is on one side of a veil and we're on the other side of the veil. And our life is the struggle against the veil and the veil is our fear. So it, it really comes down to dealing with dealing with our fears in life. Fear is the biggest motivator. Everything it revolves around the fear of uh, mm. the fear. Fear, anger is fear. Uh, rage is fear. Um, lashing. All of it is about our fears in one way, shape, or form. Right. And even the fear when they say that the fear of uh, the number one fear is uh, not death, but speaking in public. Right. It is because you are afraid of being ostracized from the group. It's exactly right. But if you think about what fear is. If you break it down scientifically, fear is an emotional reaction to a future event that may or may not happen with you focused on a negative outcome. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, so fear depends on a negative outcome. Depends on you believing in a negative outcome. And so I, I call it negatively focused uncertainty. That's what fear is. And when you, when you shift your focus from, from negative to positive – you, you create a whole different experience. So, so to give you an example, I talk about being very present. Most people in the world sit in their present moment and they hash over all of the fearful things that have happened in their life. Yep. And, and they decide this is the way the world is. So right here in this moment, the world is this way. So I am creating more of that because that's what I'm focused on. That's where my belief is. My faith mm-hmm. is there. Bible says, whatever you ask in God's name is granted if you have faith. Moses said God's name was I am. Yes. So I am a victim of that, a product of that, a a horrible person because of that. And even Amazing Grace says I'm a wretch, right? All that says, all that stuff, right? Right. So they they sit here in this moment and they declare those things. I am this. And God gives them that because that's what they want. So people who, who step into the next level of their soul, to tie it into your name here, right, are the people who go, okay. Here's where, here's where I am from the product of my belief, but now I am doing this. And they start to start to negate the subconscious beliefs that are behind them. And they start to be very conscious about keeping their focus on a positive outcome. See, most people, most people think they're, they're going through time on a linear fashion. But we don't go through time. Time goes through us. 
we are never, ever not in the present moment. Right? The past is just a collection of present moment memories. The future is just a place where we set goals for our next present moment, but we never get to the future. When we finally experience that thing, it's going to be in the here and now. And so the future is coming to us and it becomes more and more in focus as it gets to us. And so here in this moment, if we keep our focus on a positive, I am joyfully receiving perfect health. And you keep in that, in that place, what you're doing is you're bringing that reality into focus. And so then you experience it in your present moment. And then it goes dropped into your past subconscious belief. You know, in the Bible, it says, be born again. I mean, that's, that's not because that's not what the Jehovah's Witness say. It's what it is, is set down your past. Start creating something new, bring something new into your experience. You know, I, I have been very fortunate in my life to, to watch people believe themselves out of wheelchairs. And, yeah. and you go to look at the testimonials on my, on my private readings page. There's a testimonial on there of a lady who had a tumor and she started getting very present and started putting the positive affirmations in the, well, affirmations, there's a topic there too, but, <laughs> um, but um, positive intention or positive belief, positive faith and her tumor shrank. And it really comes down to each one of us is divine. You know, in the Bible, Joshua says, greater works than I have done, you will do. Ye are gods. It is your faith that heals you. He wasn't, he wasn't putting himself on a pedestal. He was showing us the potential that we have and the idea and the, the idea that we are one with God and we, and God is a co-creator. You know, we are, we are the inspiration and the, and the outcome. And God is the paintbrush, the paints and the canvas. In all of the tools that we need. Beautiful. Beautifully said, my friend. Beautifully said. Oh, so with so I'm I'm gonna dig in a little bit because uh I don't get to, to speak often with someone who walked with Jeshua yeah. uh as a general statement. So I have a couple questions I've always wanted to know. And I've heard Great. I've done some study, you know, I've done research in, in spiritual texts and things, but the biggest question I always had, because I am also a recovering Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh so uh I, I um, and I feel guilty about it. But uh, oh, oh, you know, you know, you know, what's, you know, what's funny about that, Alex is yeah. uh, this summer my book, my first book is coming out, and it's called the Recovering Catholic's Guide to Spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Bro. Amen. I can't wait for that book. That's going to be amazing. Um, but the thing that always fascinated me, among many things about what the church taught, was that Jesus was born, yada yada yada, showed up at thirty, like. The yada, yada, yada is the problem <laughs> I've always had since I was a kid. You know, if I could go back to Seinfeld, the yada, yada, yada. So I've read, you know, from the from the Hindu texts and the yogic philosophies that that Jesus was a yogi. He yeah, you, heard, and, you heard of Sri Isa. Right, exactly. So yeah. can you explain to people what happened in, in, as much as you can right. of the time between he when he was born and then when he became, when he showed up as essentially a master? Sure. So let, let me let me kind of tie some things in first. So the whole story of the virgin birth, um, you have to remember that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the books, books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, theologians and Bible scholars believe they are written from one source. They don't believe they're written by the individuals. Um, and all, the Bible that we know of today is, is a conglomeration and an, and an edit from a lot of books. And at the Nicene Council, it became the codified Bible. Um, 
when you look at virgin births, you know, everybody, Jesus was the virgin birth. It was miraculous, right? Plato was a virgin birth. Horus in Egypt was a virgin birth. And all the other virgin, most of the other virgin births you find in history are all Roman and pagan mythology. Um, so Jeshua being born, he was, I remember him as, as, a, as a man, as not a, not a deity. You know, choirs didn't sing when he entered the room. That's, you know, he, he, he was a dude. He was, he was a, a dude. dude. And he was the coolest dude ever, right? And when I met him in that past life, and I say I, when John of Old met him, um, it was it was when he had come back. But I had a full understanding that he had just come back from somewhere far away. So come you back, know, I don't you mean, a, okay, so let me just clarify, because come back, it could be from the dead. No, you mean, yeah, no, he was coming. I have to right. be very clear about this. <laughs> perfect, just, perfect. just throwing that out there. It's like, that's from funny. The dead, did he come back from the dead? Like, no, he yeah. went on a journey and came back. Yeah, he was coming, he was coming back from the, the, the East. And um, a lot of, a lot of the teachings that he taught don't tie into Judaism and definitely don't tie into Christianity because mm-hmm. uh, he didn't believe in a Messiah. He didn't believe in a savior. Um, one of the real, real memories that I have is avoiding the Essenes because they wanted him to not only take the role of Messiah, but they wanted him to take the role of King. And they wanted him to actually raise an army and fight Rome and he wouldn't do it. And so we avoided the Essene encampment because it was like, you know, I, they want me to do something I'm not going to do. Um, but yeah, I totally believe he was in India, though my memories, I I wasn't with him, so I don't have those the memory of him being there. I totally believe it because that was just what we understood it to, to be. Now, um, when you go to India, which is was a fascinating journey when I traveled through India, you you can learn all about Sri Isa. And you can they can tell you where he was and, and all the things that he did. And um, when you ask them what happened to him, they say he went back to his country and he was crucified. And there's another uh, thought in, in India when you're there that after the resurrection, he came back with, with his wife and had children and lived out the rest of his life there. And there are, are sects of, of Hinduism that believe that. I personally hope that's true. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because I would have liked the man to have a happy ending, right? Right. <laughs> In his life. Right. Right. So the, the next question that I always get, and I'm going to tie it into the, your question, is did he resurrect? Did he resurrect? I have, a, I have memories of him on the cross. I have memories of, of carrying his physical body to a tomb, which I can tell you an interesting psychometry story about going to the garden tomb in Israel and getting nauseous and and crying and weeping and wailing and not even knowing I was going to the place when, <laughs> when we went. But um, I have a distinct memory. I remember I, I said it, the, the second reading, the, the, the psychic did a full body trance channel, right? She actually, at one point in that channeling state, she says, do you see me? And I was like, no, she says, close your eyes and see. And I closed my eyes when I closed my eyes, it was like my eyes opened in the past. And I was, I was like looking down at the ground and I could see my hands in front of me and I could see like sand falling off my face. And then I looked up a little further and standing here were these feet 
And I looked up and it was Jeshua looking down, laughing at me. And I knew the reason I was on my face was because the last time I saw him, I put him in a tomb. And, and so people say, well, how can that be? Well, when you, when you study in India and you study the, the, the Hindus, there, there's numerous stories of gurus who would come to a raging river and, and project their consciousness to the other side and manifest their body around and continue on. That's, that's basically you know, resurrecting the body in another, another segment of this belief. And so to me, it, it makes perfect sense that he could have done that if he had gone and studied with the gurus in, in India. And so, you know, I have a statue of, uh, of Joshua meditating in my office. Um, they're, they're rare, but they are available. Yeah. Um, because I do truly believe after doing so much research in, in the, in the Hindu text and the Indian, uh, and, and yogic philosophies that, that Jesus was a yogi, mm. uh, in many ways he learned those ideas because again, the ideas that he was talking about were ideas that were not, like you said, not in the Jewish tradition, not in the Roman tradition. Absolutely. They just weren't, they were so far beyond those things. The concept of you are God, you know, God is within you. Uh, You could do everything I can do and more. That's heresy. Yep. Absolutely. It's it's heresy. But but let, let me, let me share an interesting fact. I had this experience and I can't, I, I got very public with it. I was out there with it. And I've never had a Buddhist say anything negative to me. I've never had a Hindu say anything negative to me. I've never had a Muslim say anything negative to me. Never had a Wicca or a Baha'i say anything negative to me. I have been called a false prophet and Satan reborn. And I have been told that I am doing the devil's work all by Christians. Right? But think about what the word Christian means. Christ means anointed one, which means it's he has to be a messiah. And at the Nicene councils, when he became the son of God, prior to the Nicene council in 325, he was uh, either a teacher, a prophet, or a fraud, depending on your, your point of view, right? And they made a decision at the Nicene council that he was the son of God. And once that happened, all other religions were wrong. And then you get the Crusades and the Inquisition. and Because that's what, because that's what Jesus would want. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, as, as I always another thing as a young young Catholic boy. Going, so Jesus loved everything. God's within you. He, you either believe in Jesus or die. Like that doesn't seem very Christian. Well, well and think about think about this. It just didn't make sense. The Book of John, a book that I love, by the way. <laughs> it says says God is love, right. and no and no fear can exist in pure love. Right. But the Old Testament says. God sent two bears to kill 42 children because they made fun of a bald man. Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, it's like when I mean, you look at the, the interesting part about the Bible to me is the texts that, that have beca- became the Bible were written by Judaic sects who had their own agenda. They wanted a messianic fulfillment of, of Judaic law. And so the original texts were, were not even in alignment with Jeshua's teachings. And then you have, you know, everybody always talks, I always hear people talk about the Aramaic gospel. Most people don't realize there is no Aramaic gospel. The Aramaic gospel that they talk talk about is the Peshitta, and the Peshitta is a translation into Aramaic from Greek. So it's not even real. There is no real Aramaic gospel. 
Um, and then when you look at the, the next iterations, you know, they started translating it. And, you know, we live in, in two, 2023 right now. Do you know the year is wrong? Because, Probably. It, well, they, they know it's wrong because you look at the Bible. Jeshua was born in, in the reign of, I forget which, which emperor it was. He died about six or eight years before the, the ascension date or the, the, the AD date, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that he couldn't have been born in 2023 years ago. So even our years wrong. When, when did that happen? Historically, that happened in the Middle Ages. But even our, our concept of, of hell and, and, and brimstone and fire and all that is a reflection of Dante's Inferno, which is a Middle Ages text. Because the word Gehenna, which is the word that was translated into hell, was actually a trash dump where you burned your trash on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And all the bad stuff was burned in Gehenna. And so so even – fascinating. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Cut no, you no, I, no, no, no. But the thing is that's so fascinating is that I've had multiple people – I've had a lot of near-death experiencers on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, uh, and channels and mystics and all of this stuff. And – one common denominator is that there is no hell. Right, is and no hell. the biggest stuff that I get on comments is when we dare to say that there is no hell because then we are doing the devil's work and obviously right. I'm a demon and so on and so forth. Right. We all are. Um, and it's <laughs> it, it's fascinating because, again, as a child, I didn't understand. When they told me about hell, I was terrified. I was in first grade. Absolutely. First grade, they said, you're going to hell if you don't do this, this, and this. I'm like, the amount of stress a first grader gets right? because of this. You're like, oh, my God. I'm like, what what are we going to do? So it it doesn't make sense. And now that, you know, as a a parent, you look at your kids and you go, there's nothing they could ever do. They could do the – I would never damn them for all internal damnation for anything that they could possibly do in this world as a parent. Right. So can you imagine God going, oh, you didn't go to church on Sunday and you well, ate meat well, on Friday. And, 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 <laughs> and now, now here, think about, yeah, the, uh, George Carlin does a great bit on the meat on oh, Friday. Oh, he says they got they got rid of purgatory. Do you think there's still people there doing time on the meat wrap? I, mean, <laughs> I always said the same thing. I go, so changed it. Is there, is there like, do they go back to the program? Here's an interesting thing. You know, when, when, when I take, when I hear those people come at me, so negatively, the first thing I do when any, anybody's coming at me negatively, the first thing right. I, before I, I don't have an emotional reaction, I ask, what, what is the fear? What are they afraid of? Where are they afraid of not being loved? And you can always find it. You know, the, 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 the people who are, who are judging me are judging me because they, they're afraid they're wrong or they're afraid they're. Oh, yeah. You know, it, the, it throws, if you are right, then that means everything that my entire life has been based on, the foundation that I've raised my beliefs upon, are wrong. And if they are wrong, then my entire world comes crumbling down. That's in politics. That's in religion. That's in just what you eat. Talk about vegans and carnivores. Forget about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, what if I'm interested? Vegan and carnivore, because I've done them both, right? uh And what I find interesting is the the love and peace vegans are are the most vehement and evil. They, they will attack and attack oh, and attack. You know, listen, uh, I, 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 you know, Mac and PC. I mean, right. it's just. <laughs> what do you it, want it, to share it? Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. So, so if you're a Mac or you're a PC person, like if you think that PCs are good, it just ruins the, 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 the construct that you've put 
in your in your in your mind to live this life. And right. if that's challenged, you fight to the death. Unless you are open-minded and doesn't have as much fear, when you don't exactly have as right. fear, you could go, well, wait a minute. Is reincarnation possible? Well, let's let's look into that and see. Right. I know I was told it wasn't possible, but you know what? It kind of makes more sense because if you only got one life to live and, and it, it sucks. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Wait, what, do you, what do you mean it's in the Bible? It's like, who do they say that I am? Some say you are Elijah, some prophet reborn. No, I tell you, Elijah has come already and you have shunned him, referring to John the Baptist. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So they had to believe he could return as either John the Baptist or Jesus from Nazareth. It, it's 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 a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing uh, when you start digging into this stuff, uh, yeah. especially deep in, in spirituality. Well, but you're right; it's always fear. Fear is the base of all right. of this lashing out. But when you are open minded, and I think, by the way, in today's world, more than 20 years ago. There is much more seeking. There's people who are like, you know what? The traditional way is not working anymore. We are questioning it at all. I'm With so it. glad you brought that up because when I was out speaking, it was 20 years ago. My my first regression was in 1999. And, and I was out speaking all over the country, like I said. And the reason I stopped is because they could only be into who I was as opposed to stepping into the divinity. When I came back to this a year and a half ago. I am blown away at the shift in humanity, blown away because everybody's about how do I do this? How do I get there? And they're, they're, they're really it, – it's, there's a huge push towards their own connectedness with God. And I just love – God, consciousness, yada, yada, whatever you call it. Um, but you know, I The universe, it, the source. Right, yeah, right, it, right. yeah. God is, is a trigger word apparently. Right. right. It know, is, as, as is Jesus, right? And I, I call him Jeshua because that was my memory, right? And you can't tell from the painting, but uh, he actually looks much lighter skinned than the painting is. The painting's actually mm -hmm. darker. And I, I got crucified for him being a dark skinned man. Right. Right. And it was like, you know, it's, it, it's anything that changes their idea of what's possible. It's, it's again, it's Galileo. It's it's just basically like what do you mean that the the sun what it's, and, but, and they forgave him in 1986 the same year Ferris Bueller's <laughs> a day off came out what the heck's I that mean, about thank, thank God they came I mean at least <laughs> during Ferris's uh, theatrical run right, right, uh, exactly that and, and Big Trouble in Little China same year obvi I mean, <laughs> obviously which is a very spiritual movie in its own right. absolutely. Uh, <laughs> But you know, and th this is the other thing I've always found, even in my own my own experience, you know, walking the earth is just like, well, there's a billion or two Buddhists, another billion Hindus, you know, a billion Catholics, and God knows how many other type of 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 uh, religions out there. They're all looking at a different side of the elephant, as they as that old saying says. It's it's so true. So you're just like, oh, the the tail is the way. No, the trunk is the way. No, the foot right. is the way. And you're like, no, it's not. It's just a small part of the whole thing. Right. But I loved you. You said something earlier that you said you can, if you can find love in all religions, uh, in all walks of spirituality, as long as you don't. Uh, condemn or judge, and that's such well, a see, powerful thing. Because there are, by the way, I know. I know Catholic priests who are right now, uh, I had them on the show, who tra help transition souls 
who are lost over to the other side. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, so how is the church working out? How is that working out with the church? And they're like, Mm -hmm. kind of just let me do my thing. Right. Uh, you know, but he's still a you know a hard. He's a he's a Catholic priest, right. but he's doing different work, and he's not judging people. It, right. it, well, you know, the Catholic the, the Catholic faith it really it it for many years leveraged in fear, right? I mean, well, it well still does, right? Well, I mean, it still does. Yeah. I grew up in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, which is a beautiful beachside community. It's also known to be the nation's gay summer capital. Right? Catholic Church has a giant man used to have a giant mansion on the beach. Every priest in the entire East Coast would vacation in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. I cannot tell you how many times I saw priests coming out of gay boys hand in hand with their boyfriend, right? To me, there's nothing wrong with that because mm-hmm. if if God is love, love is not wrong in any form, right? But the hypocrisy of saying, you know, I I don't I don't believe that that's a, that's uh, godly or it's a sin to to lie with another man because Paul said it. Paul, who in the Gnostic text is referred to by James, the brother of Jeshua, as the great liar, which is fascinating, too. We need to dive into that, right? Well, God is love. And and here's the other thing I I wanted to tap into what you just said. Um, Love can be found everywhere, but the universal thoughts and the universal truths can be found everywhere. Buddha said, what you think you become, you create your world. Krishna said, you are the culmination of your thought. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Shakespeare said, there's nothing good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. And he also said, words without thoughts never to heaven go. So you can find these amazing truths in all areas. If you trap yourself into one school of thought, you are missing the beautiful enormity and simplicity of God. Agreed 110%. Is if, and, and that's what we try to, that's why I try to bring so many different walks of life onto the show from different yeah. perspectives and, you know, Indian gurus and mystics, you know, from Europe and Catholic priests and Buddhists and Tibetans and Beautiful. people like yourself. I'm trying to bring as many things and ideas together. But the thing that I found, and I have a very unique perspective on this because of now almost 200 conversations like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm starting to notice common truths yeah. that keep popping up. Yep. And you can't get that until you have the perspective I have of just being able to talk to so many different spiritual people uh, that have had either spiritual experience or are mystics or, or in, in all walks of life. But when you start seeing common denominators, I'm like, well, there's well, God is love. Okay, so that's a common truth. Um the concept of reincarnation keeps coming up. I haven't had one person who he's walked the spiritual path who has not said that said like, no, no, you only get the one life. Cause that's mm-hmm. judgment. That's, that's very static, very rigid thinking. Right. Um, so reincarnation past lives, ideas right. like that. Um, we're here to, we're here to learn, to experience, to remember why we're here, what we truly are. And the concept of sowing and reaping. Yes, karma. Yeah, Karma. And people think it's, you know, karma over lifetimes and am I doomed because of my karma? Karma is is what you're sowing, you're reaping, but you have to realize you can sow something new in every present moment. And you can create something different in every present moment. And it's a matter of people get into these 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 new age, new, and I say new age, and I don't want to say it in a, in a negative way. These new, I think, new age dogma is just as pervasive as old age dogma. Oh, absolutely. And and a lot of times they'll, like for instance, the word meditation. 
when you say the word meditation, it can be mantra meditation, breathing meditation, candle meditation, walking meditation, right? I, I don't call it meditation anymore just because it's so convoluted. I call it sitting in love, right? And I, I just go into my room and I exhale and I feel that space. And next thing you know, it's 40 minutes later and I've been in this beautiful bliss state for, for 40 minutes. And when I started doing that every day, my whole world smoothed out. And then I started okay. doing this other thing. Like I, I meditate grocery shopping, right? <laughs> I walk into the grocery store and before I go in, I go and I get that feeling and I walk in with a smile on it and people do a double take and smile at me. And then they start talking to yeah. me because they're not used to feeling it, right? Not used to experiencing it. Then I realized, you know, it, there's a primal function of the body that when we get into a fear state, we store air in our bodies. We go, you know, we, if we're a parent and we have children, we know that moment where that toddler was going across the living room and they tripped and fall and almost smacked their head on the coffee table, right? And yeah. we go, oh, we gasp for air. Well, we're doing that because we're filling our lungs up so we can run fast. Right. And people, when they're in fear, they go, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. It's not that they can't breathe. It's that they're not releasing their air. But if you take a, an actor on stage, they're, they're literally trained. If they forget their lines and they, have a, they get into that fear state, they're literally trained to exhale, relax all their muscles. And all their lines flood right back into their head because they shut off the fear response. So that idea that every, every meditation form that I've ever tried has all led me to the moment where I went and just let go. And so I bypass the modality and the technique and I just go to the letting go. And that's how I get to that space very quickly. And when I do private, I do a lot of private sessions with people. I do, you know, four or five a day sometimes because I want to help people you know, break free of those barriers. And I get, it's so interesting to watch because they come in tense, right? And by getting them to the space of, of focusing on a positive outcome and creating something different, by the end of the sessions, they're laughing and they're, and they're exhaling. And what is a laugh but a joyful exhale, right? And you're just sitting there and you're feeling that state. So, so did Jesus meditate? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, Jesus would do a, I don't know if he had a specific form of meditation, but he would go off for long periods of time and just sit on his own. So I would consider go inward, go inward. Go inward. Yeah. yeah, For, I would consider it a meditation. Um, And and what's really interesting is when you were talking earlier about, um, you said use the word demon or whatever. It's really interesting. The word Satan um, has two separate, uh, uh, dictionary meanings one of them is deceiver sure right the other one is temptation Mm -hmm. which i think is really interesting because our satan is our own temptations it's our own fit you know influx of thought from our past right and so to me it it really comes down to you go to meditate to come to a closer place i i do it and i sit in love because it's to me it's it's smooths out my life. Let me ask you this, because you just triggered something in me that just popped into my head when you said that, that the word Satan is temptation. Mm -hmm. Well, arguably, this entire existence is a temptation of the physical form, is a temptation. Sure. So to be free of the temptation of the physical form, to evolve beyond it, to, uh, to go past it, as all great masters do, Jesus, Buddha, 
um, I, I use Yogananda, Babaji, all these kind of yeah. Indian uh, yogis and things. They be they go beyond the physical. Yeah. So they have released the temptation. They have no temptation to physical ideas. They even get to the point where they don't even have attachment to the body, which is the ultimate release to a certain extent. Have you had experience um, with that? Uh, oh, as far as getting out of body. Yes. Well, I've been I've meditated um, now for five five years now. I'm going to say that I've been meditating for about an hour to two, sometimes three a day, yeah. uh, consistently. Right. Uh, I mean, I just did an hour and change before after this call. I'll do another hour and change before I, the day is over. Yeah. Um, it is uh, when you go when you continue to meditate at that level. Continuously, at the beginning, uh, and I've said this on the show before. At the beginning, it's it's a mess. You're just trying to f- <laughs> sit there. It's an absolute mess. Your brain stopping you. Your brain's like, what are you doing? What's going on? This and that. To the point now where I'm like, I need it to function right. in in my day. Right. And but there has been moments that I've gone so deep that I, I, I I'm not. I'm I'm somewhere else. Right. I don't know where that is. And 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 I spoke to Tibetan monks. I've spoken to you know Buddhist monks who meditate long periods, of time, and they go, "Oh yeah, yeah, we understand." Which is like, "Oh, you 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 got there too." Okay, great. It's like it's not nothing special, and right. it's everyone absolutely. could do it. Everyone Ab- could do absolutely. it. Absolutely, I um, I I I attribute most of my big <laughs> spiritual light show experiences to my naivete. Oh yeah, by, by being completely naive, right? My yeah. I had I had what is termed as a Kundalini rising. In oh, a wow. tent, in a tent in New Orleans, and what, that's, a good place. that's a good place to do that, sir. <laughs> so weird, though. It was I, I, what happened was, it they were having a record cold snap, and I was staying in this tent, freezing my butt off. And earlier that week, I had seen on sixty minutes a a a bit about these Buddhist monks who would go into a freezer, and they would put cold wet towels on them. Yep, and they would come out, and the towels were like 120 degrees. So it was like the heat of the towels beyond their physical body heat. Correct. And it was like, that's amazing, right? So here I am in this tent in New Orleans, freezing my butt off. I'm like, well, if they can do it, so can I, right? You know, totally naive. And it doesn't take, you know, sitting on a mountaintop somewhere, right? So I just said, okay, I'm going to focus on my feet. And I just focus, and I focus on my feet, and I could feel my feet. And I said, my feet are getting warm. And my feet got warm. And then... Oh, okay. I'm going to bring it up to my shins. And over the course of a long period of time, I got it all the way up to my chest and it wouldn't go any higher. And then that's when the mind kicks in and the mind says, you got to force it, force it. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, trying to try to get it out. And suddenly I heard this thought and I, I say it that way. It's hearing someone else's thoughts or hearing the thoughts of God or something. It says, relax into it. And I let go and I just exhaled and boom, I was everything. And I was in pure, the white expanse I talked about. This is before I had my regression. That white expanse I was in, feeling one with everything. And I'm just having this amazing, completely warm. And I, and then I woke up the next morning. And I turned to my, my comedy partner at the time, who was a longtime practitioner of TM. And I, and I was like, this is what happened to me. And I explained the whole thing. He says, oh, my God, you had a Kundalini rising. I've been trying to have one of those for years, <laughs> right? And and then I realized because I was naive, I didn't have to try. 
And just the belief that I am trying is asking God for trying. I am wanting, I am needing, I am hoping, I am trying, or non, or non-present moment actions. I am joyfully receiving. So then the next night, I said, "Well, I'm going to do that again, right?" And I down, started the process, and suddenly, in the process of bringing the heat up, I hear the zipper of the tent open, and I open my eyes and I watch my comedy partner step into the tent, and he stepped over top of me, and I looked down at my own face down there, and I was looking at my body below me, and I was just like. And within minutes, I was back in my body. And like, Holy crap, what the heck was that? And I said, you know, I just saw you come into the tent. Well, what was also happening, as he came into the tent, all I could hear was what, what most people would consider the ohm, ohm, right? And so I'm like, I saw you step into the tent. You stepped right over. I looked at my own face. And he says, he says, did you hear the humming noise? And I was like, yeah. He says, yeah, you're out of body. It happens to me all the time. Right. So it, the people who know don't necessarily talk about it. The people who who talk about it don't necessarily know. You know but it's it is a matter matter of it's always a personal experience. It's always your own. Always. And oh, it's a, always. Then I got to the point where I was just doing out of the bodies all the time. And, and they were just I would do things like I wake up and the alarm clock would go off and I'd reach over to turn it off. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't turn it off. Then I realized I forgot my arm. Right. <laughs> my arm was here, but the other hand was smacking over there. And then I'm, I'm going to tell you a funny story. So I was once again doing this technique, you know, bringing the warmth up my body. And I got it. I was getting out of bodies consistently. And I was wandering around the campground of the Maryland Renaissance Festival, just kind of experiencing it. And then one night I got out and I said, you know, I wonder if I can travel distance. And so I chose to go to my old hometown, Rehoboth Beach. And I ended up going to my friend's Bo's house. And I'm a very, like I said earlier, I'm, I like to get proof and documentation. So I go there and I'm like, okay, what, do, what can I see that I can come back and verify I was there? And I went, to, I went to my friend Bo's house and I'm, I'm there and I look over and he's asleep on the couch. And I'm like, okay, he's asleep on the couch. And I thought, well, I wonder if I can project a thought. And I just said, I, I need to sit, project a thought that, if he says it to me, I'll I'll know that I've did something. And I, <laughs> I went over and I'm like, oh, what do I say? What do I say? Bo, purple rhinoceros, purple rhinoceros, purple rhinoceros, purple rhinoceros. Because I wanted something so weird that if he said it, he was going to. I called him up the next day. I said, how you doing? He says, he says, it's so weird you're calling me, man. I had a dream last night. You were in my house saying purple rhinoceros. He literally said it on the phone to me. So I come to realize, you know, the, our, the key to everything I just said is my belief. I believed I was doing it. And, you know, you look, you look at the wall, you look across the room at the wall across from you, and you realize that Einstein has said to us that room is, that the wall is nothing but a pure energy event in motion. Yes. And the air between you and that wall is a pure energy event in motion. Same thing. And the eyes that you're looking at it with are pure energy event in motion. This whole thing is a product of your belief. It's a product of what you what you you put into it. And a simulation, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, when you when you look at it that way, you start to realize that you can. You know, there, there's the thing people talk about. You know, the the superhero movies right now are all talking about multiverses. Yeah, right? But it's amazing, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can sit at the same table with somebody having a great time while they're having a negative one. And it, and the story I like to tell is I was walking to a restaurant with a friend of mine. 
on the way here, and he says, I hate this place. Why do we always come here? I said, what are you talking about? I love this place. This is the perfect greasy spoon, right? right? And we go in, we sit down. The waitress comes over to the table. She says, I'm sorry, I'm having a bad day, and it's going to reflect in the service. Right? <laughs> right? right? <laughs> That's amazing. I the would, guy across from me is instantly mad, right? I go, I, well, I can give her love, right? So I say, oh, I'm so sorry you're having a bad day. Why don't you sit down? I'll get you some dinner, and I'll take care of the rest of your tables, right? And she started laughing, and we started joking back and forth. And, and it was it was beautiful. I ended up getting her number, right? Now, here, here's the interesting part was we, we both ordered our dinners, and our salads came. And I swear to God, my salad looked like she handpicked each leaf. And, the, you know, it was like the lights were coming from heaven, how great the salad was. <laughs> it's got set in front of him. It was the core of the iceberg lettuce cut into four parts. <laughs> right? It was just like the worst experience ever. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Our, our steaks come. We both ordered steaks. I swear to you, my steak was cooked by my mother. <laughs> it was like exactly the way I like it, exactly perfect. <laughs> he cut into his steak, and the center was frozen. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 fascinating because again, uh, being able to talk to so many different people from different walks of life, especially in the scientific community, when I'm talking to quantum physicists a lot and neuroscientists and things, the concept of the simulation theory, Maya, the illusion, all that kind of stuff. But this concept of the world, we are creating the world that we are in, our reality, with our our minds. And you said earlier in regards to you know people that were able to heal themselves uh, by their beliefs, mm-hmm. and people are thinking now that like that's impossible. I go, well, there's something called the placebo effect mm-hmm. that has been around right. in science that science hates. They don't understand it. They can't. Get, they wrap their heads around it. But it is a force that. They, if there's a belief that the pill, the sugar pill is going to cure them, magically it does, and they have no understanding of why it does it. So that's right. the power of the brain. That's the power of the, not the brain, of the mind, of the focus. And then when you start talking to, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about, about out of body and this kind of stuff might sound woo-woo to people, and that's fine. Right. But if you start looking deeply into yogic philosophies of two, three, four, five thousand years ago and their their text, these ideas have been talked about forever. Ever. Forever. forever. It's just these are not new age woo-woo ideas. These ideas come from a very deep place that's been around humanity for thousands of years. Unfortunately, some of these ideas have been taken over by more of this kind of woo-woo kind of vibe. And that's what turns a lot of people off. And that's what I'm trying to do here in the show is to bring more of a little bit of a practical standpoint. Cause I'm like you, I'm, I am more science-based. I'm more, I'm more rational, you know, and, and, and practical that I like to use practical. the word practical because I, that's how I am. One of the, one of the things that in my first regression, um, the, I, I said, it's so simple. We have a hard time understanding it. All right. 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 <laughs> it's so You're simply large. Right. And 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 then I like and when I when I talk about that's the simplicity of this, I say when you say you're hungry, your stomach growls. When you say you're tired, you yawn. Right? I am is God's name. I am tired, you yawn. You actually are creating 
you are already creating your experience. You are already divine. You're already doing it. It's a matter of then becoming conscious like Jeshua was. But the interesting thing about Jeshua was that he understood it was uh, in motion. As I said, you know, we don't go through time linearly. Time goes through us. And so uh, the Bible, um, uh, mother comes to, to Jeshua and says that they're out, they're out of wine. First line he says, it's not time yet. And then he turns to the servants. He says, fill those jugs with water. And they go and they fill those jugs with water. And over the course of time, he goes over and raises his hand and boom, it's wine. So he understood that he was bringing it into his experience through his beliefs. He yeah. understood that he had to put all three elements, thought, word, and deed, because the deed was fill the jugs with water, because deeds based in faith are creative. And so he had to put the thoughts and words and deeds into, into action until finally it could culminate in, into a wine. And most people have a hard time with the comprehension that, that they are bringing in all of their life experience. You, you said earlier about near-death experiences. One of the things I find interesting about near-death experiences is the, is the life review. Yes. Because they cross over and they each have their own experience. You know, if you're a Christian, you see Jesus, and, and Buddha, you see Buddha, and Shiva, you see Shiva. But the other thing that happens is you, you cross over and you have a review of your life and all of the feelings of your life and all of the feelings of the people you interacted with. You hear that yeah. as well, right? So my belief, what's happening is when you, when you cross over, you have to transition through your belief and out of your belief. And as you transition through your belief and out of your which is why some people see hell. Because they believe yes. in hell and they believe they were they've done something wrong. I had one. But, I had somebody that went through hell, and she's like, "I only I only went through hell because I thought I needed to go through it." it. It's exactly right. And so, the the other the other element is is I believe it's called folding, being folded back into the oneness of God. In Hinduism, the consciousness of God is the sit, and we are the sit satki, which is the individual sparks of consciousness within God. And so, basically, you're getting folded back into it. And to really make this interestingly simple, <laughs> people ask me about the Trinity all the time. And I believe that we are the Holy Spirit. And the Father, it, it would, it, there's no gender in God. The Father is because of the patriarchal time when it was written. But the Father is the God consciousness. The Son is the physical world consciousness. The Holy Spirit is the consciousness that sits between, that is us without our fears, without our anxieties, that's fully aware of our divine self. And so what happens if we get this information from our divine self is coming through, but that divine self is connected to the other sitsat ki, the other individual sparks of oneness. And so you're, you're tapping into the oneness of God. You know, when I do a private session, an hour before I do one, I sit down and I write the person's name on a sheet of paper and I do what I said earlier. I just <sighs> let go. And words start to form in my head, and I do an automatic writing for every one. And what I find so fascinating is that they come on and they go, oh, my God, how'd you know that? How'd you know this? I, I, had, one, I had one one time, and I literally, in the very beginning of the thing, I said, I don't know why I'm supposed to say this, but you're truly scrumptious. <laughs> and she says, what? And we kept, I kept I read down further, and I called her Chuchi Face. And, um, and then I said something, and this was the most fascinating line, that um, – all empirical evidence is found in illusion in an illusion of belief. So science itself is a dogma, which I thought was interesting, right? So I'm, I read this thing to this lady, and she says, "Oh my!" She says, "Well, let me tell you what you're talking about." She says, "My husband, who's passed away now, 
Our favorite movie was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He used to sing, you're truly scrumptious and my little choochie face to me. And the line that you read that said, all empirical evidence is found in illusion of belief is from his book. Right. But I don't, you know, just by opening to it, I don't judge what comes through. I don't care if it comes from a, a crossover or just from the consciousness of God. I believe it's all one. And I think in the crossing over, we get folded back into that oneness. And it's, and it's all very simple. It all is happening in the present. And and that's beautiful. And to go back to what you said earlier in regards to the the wine, the Jesus uh, parlor trick, if you will, uh, that Jesus <laughs> did. Um, as you were saying it, I was thinking, I'm like, well, that's that's a yogi. That's a yogic power. I mean, if you just go back and listen and read, just read autobiography of a yogi by Yogananda. Read, read talk, the second read the second coming of Christ by Yogananda. Oh yeah, yeah, the resurrection. Yeah, the, the resurrection of Christ. Well, that's. Yeah. That which is within you, which is yeah, mind blowing. Yeah. My favorite quote, my favorite quote of Yogananda's is Jesus died on the cross two thousand years ago, but his teachings have been crucified ever since. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And and, uh, <laughs> and Gandhi says, I, I I I like your Jesus. I don't like your Christians. <laughs> oh, dude, that's amazing. That's amazing. Right. Uh, John, is, so I want to also ask you, uh, what do you think about what's going on in the world today? This this, this this, kind of insanity that seems to be happening over the last four, three, four years, yeah, yeah. Uh, or longer probably, but just really since the pandemic and, and all that stuff, I, the, the world is just, it seems like it's out of control. But yet at the same time, you and I have both said there seems to be an awakening. So there seems to be like a lot of crazy, but a lot of spiritual is coming up to balance that. I, don't I know. am what do so glad, so glad you asked this question, Alex, because it's to me it's so important to to talk about this. You know, Socrates said, "When the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser." Right, well. <laughs> and right, and you've heard a lot of name calling the past several years. You've heard a lot of lack of agenda. You know, you know, you know, like well, we're we're just against you. We don't we don't have a real idea, right? So you've heard a lot of this division, and it's, it's like this. The world is a predominantly positive place, and most people don't realize that. Yeah. And you know, if you t if if I were to if I were to have a job up in Cleveland, and I live about a half an hour from Cleveland, and I would commute every day, I'd probably pass a thousand cars on the road, and one, once a day, maybe, probably not even once a day, but once let's just say once a day, there might be a fender bender on the side of the road. What's going to be on the news? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The, the anomaly, the thing that's different from the rest, what should be the number one story is that 999 cars made it safely to their destination, right? Because yeah. that is the truth of our, of our reality. The, what I find most interesting is, is, there is there is loving stories every day, but we don't focus on them because this, our society is really based, based on the fact that fear sells. And so I tell people all this. Well, even even we talked about Christian Catholicism earlier. You know, the, the the whole concept of Catholicism is based upon marketing fear for recruitment. You know, you're born in sin, right? I don't know any any parent in in the in the world who has held their child for the first time and said, "Ooh, look at that nasty sinner," right? 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 They don't say that. Don't get oh, me my, started. My child. Right? Don't get me started. Right. 
And then, then first communion, they're like, yeah, we're indoctrinating them into the, in the brain that that's what they're doing. Then they get to the cognitive thinking years, yeah, age 13, and they go, oh, we better make them confirm this thing. And they have a confirmation, right? Yep, and then, yep, they, yep. Then, then they give them this thing called confession, which is you can do bad things, but there's only one place that you can come back to to get absolved of that, right? And then you start having your hormones kick in, and the hormones come in, and they say, oh, you've got hormones now. So – if you have a predilection for the opposite sex, then you should get married and have more babies with original sin. And if you don't, then you should become a priest or a nun. Right? And so they've got this, this ongoing cycle of recruitment going, right? All based in fear. But but let me just also say, I'm not trying to bash Catholicism. I have met beautiful, loving people in all oh, faiths. Of course. All faiths. Of course. Of course. But, but the, the cycle of fears is really... And then like... In 1830, Minister Darby talked to a Scottish boy about a dream he had. And Minister Darby went and sat in the woods and thought about that dream. And then he opened his Bible and he saw this, this one line that said, they will gather them up. And then Minister Darby started writing it all down and he created this, this idea, right? 1830, this happened, called the rapture. Oh, yeah. Right? The rapture is not in the Bible. It, it, but but a lot of the fates will push it as if it is, and the whole Left Behind series and all that stuff. And that's an 1830s guy. Now, Minister Darby also had many beliefs about the end of the world, too. And those years came and went, right? But they, they take the ones that, that are great tools of fear to keep people in fear. And, you know, it's about power more so than it is about, about love. You know, um, <laughs> when I when I went to Egypt... In 2000, everywhere I went in the country, I was treated like an absolute prince. And to give you an example, I went to Mount Sinai and I was climbing Mount Sinai. And you start you start climbing at one o'clock in the morning. At 2.30 in the morning, in the darkness on the south side of Mount Sinai, I hear, John, John, which is, by the way, really trippy <laughs> to be on the side I, I, of Mount I, I, Sinai. I, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, it, it was a burning God. bush. Is that burning <laughs> it was, bush? What is it? It wasn't. It, it wasn't God. It, it was the manager of the hotel that I was staying at. He had run up an hour and a half up Mount Sinai to bring me his coat because he thought I'd be cold. Oh my God! Right. That's amazing. The, the next day, I'm going through St. Catherine's Monastery, and this guy comes up to me, says, "Hey, are you American?" I go, yeah, I'm American. He says, me too. He says, have you been having problems since you've been here? I said, no, everybody's treating me like a prince. He says, everywhere I go, people want to fight me. I, don't, I have no idea why. What could it be? <laughs> Five minutes later, I wanted to kick the guy's butt. Right? <laughs> it was like what we put out into the world, our belief about our experience is exactly what we get in return. And, you know, you, I, I'm, and people just want to be loved. There's a hero of mine. Her, and you don't hear about her enough. Her name's Antoinette Tuff. Mm-hmm. And Antoinette Tuff was a, is a, well, I don't know if she is still, but she was an office worker at a high school. And in the door walks a troubled kid with an AR-15. And he's there to kill people. And he and he says, I'm here, I'm going to kill. And the, the police come and and she's on the phone with the police. And she, she as she's on the phone with the police, she says, how can I help you, honey? What can I do for you? And she, he's like, he's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. I care, baby. I love you. I love you, baby. Right. And she's talk. She's just talking to this kid 
And she says, you know, I'm going to make sure nothing nothing goes bad. I'm going to make sure no, that you don't get hurt here today. And we're going to take care of you, baby. And she goes over, she hugs the kid, and she takes the gun away. And she says, she says, you come in here, but you leave him alone. You be you be nice to him. She's telling the police. And the police come in, and they they take the gun, and they gently walk him out. And he he's getting mental care, right? But what happened? She, instead of being afraid, instead of succumbing to what was coming, she just loved him. She just gave him the love that he needed. That waitress story I told you earlier, at the end of my meal, there was, well, at the beginning of my meal, there was two negative people, one positive person. At the end of my meal, there was two positive people, one negative person. It really, you know, it's up to us to leave a positive wake behind us. You know, we're the ones. And here's, here's the other thing that a lot of spiritual people struggle with. They want to save the world. You, you can't save the world. What you can do is make your part of the world so bright that the, the rest of the world chooses to save their part of the world. And in the end, we and save so our world. Wonderfully said, my friend. Wonderfully said. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all of my guests, John. Great. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Uh, being my true, authentic self, loving as I want to be loved. What is your definition of God? <laughs> Everything. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? To come to know and understand God slash love more fully. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, sir? Uh, uh, um Very easy to find. Also on YouTube, John of New. And Alex, I don't know if, if if you you looked at my stuff about my readings. I yes, wanna, yes. I, I do want to offer your audience uh, a fifty dollar discount on my readings, and you'll have a link that you can share with them. I would, you know. absolutely. We'll put it in the we'll put it in the show notes and in the in the description as well, so if anyone's interested. But o- only if you're interested. I'm not forcing you or asking you to jump over there and buy it. I, if this rang true to you, if it feels true to your heart, realize this: in your life. You know, it is your personal journey. If it rings true to you, follow it. If it doesn't ring true to you, don't. I don't expect you to believe anything I just said. And do you have any final words for our audience, John? Yeah. Your present moment is the pinpoint of creation. And how you live in this present moment is how your next moment will be. Let's make it a good one. John, I appreciate you, my friend. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I love talking to you. It's, it's 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 just a good energy between you and I, my friend. So I appreciate you I and agree. all the work and all the work you're doing in the world, my friend. Well, thank thank you so much. I, I after watching several of your videos, it's really funny. I hear you say things that I say, and I was like, that's pretty that's pretty cool. <laughs> so good work, Alex. <laughs> I want to thank John so much for coming on the show and sharing his journey with all of us. Thank you so much, John. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 208. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.